Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning, good morning. It's hour two of Mornings with Carmen on this March the 16th, which makes this 316. 316 day. Yeah, I'm good guessing. News, good news, good news. <laughs> Thank you, Paul. That was super nice. No problem. Uh, I'm guessing that um, you have a 316 that you have memorized, right? Is the one that comes to mind. For you, uh, John 3.16, that's probably the one that comes most readily to mind for most people. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I know there are those of you out there who Colossians 3.16 is your life verse because you've already let me know that on this 3.16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom Uh, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in our hearts and in your hearts to God. Maybe you have another uh, 316 of the Bible that that stands out to you. Um, Let's see. I've got another friend here who says, mine is 1 Corinthians 316. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells within you? Well, amen, amen, and amen. How about uh, 1 Timothy 316? By common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He who has revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. All right. Yes, those of you loving 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Well, amen. Amen. Um. Yeah, if you've got another 316 that you love, um, all right, yes, 1 John 316. I love that you guys are recommending these. 1 John 316, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought also to lay down our lives for one another. Ooh, yes, uh, those of you who are now getting a little sassy with your responses, Revelation 316, so because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Yeah, if you go through all of the 316 verses of the Bible, you're going to come up um, across some that are, well, a little more biting than others, but it is a really fun exercise. This would be a great one to do with um, with your children, with your grandchildren, to actually walk through the entirety of Scripture and just, you know, do every book that has a 316. I mean, you may say uh, to yourself, gosh, you know, what What might we learn um, from Judges 316? Well, Ehud made himself a sword. It had two edges, a cubit in length, and he bound it on his right thigh under his cloak. Mm-hmm. There you go. Uh-huh. And you say to yourself, well, I'm going to have to know what a cubit is. I'm going to have to know what a two-edged sword might be used for. 
where else in scripture a two-edged sword might be referred to. Yeah, mm -hmm. there's all kinds of good stuff in here. All right, on this March the 16th, on this 316, let's make it a good news day. Let's make it a good news day. Um, The gospel is presented in every book of the Bible. (laughs) I mean, you could do the gospel according to the book of Ruth today, um, and and you could talk about the kinsman-redeemer of Boaz. And that's going to lead you into a conversation about the kinsman redeemer who is Jesus Christ, which is going to lead you to John 3.16. You're going to get to have conversations about um, the reality of God's goodness and grace. And yeah, it's it's going to take you back to Genesis 3.16 and the consequences of sin that lead to death. Um, And it's going to lead you forward to life and glory and the proclamation of the gospel for all people, for all time. It's March the 16th. Let's make this a good news day. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Joining us again today from Lifeline Children's Services. Good morning, Herbie. Good morning, Carmen. It's so great to join you this morning. Yeah, welcome back. Just remind everybody, the website is lifelinechild.org, lifelinechild.org. Herbie, bring us up to date um, or up to speed on what is happening um, with children in Haiti. We have been covering the news out of Haiti. Um, You know, it is a nation in utter collapse. Um, Many, many places and communities now run by gangs, not by the government. Um, And there are lots of kids and orphanages there. So what what's what's happening? Yeah. So, you know, Haiti has really when you look at Haitian adoption, it's been crazy uh, since the earthquake that happened back in the early 2000s. And, you know, a country that was already completely impoverished and had an unstable government has just continued to grow uh, more and more anarchical, uh, where, where, like you said, it's, it's, it's being run by gangs. Um, you know, a, a country that's always taken a long time for the process of adoption has just continued to take even longer, yet more and more kids uh, need help. More and more kids are orphaned, uh, living on the streets or living in institutions. And, and the, the sad thing is, is again, uh, in a lot of ways, we've seen uh, a lack of diplomacy towards how do we help these kids get out of Haiti. Um, you know, we saw the airlift back when the, when the earthquake did occur uh, in 2010, but, but we, we haven't seen anything since really the, the government's been overthrown since so much is happening. I mean, there's, uh, you know, there've always been kidnappings. There's always been gang violence. There's always been shootings on this, you know, unstable island. Uh, but but that's just continued to grow in the news. Uh, it's continued to be main place. Um, it, 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 it instead of becoming you know uh, something that happens on the regular, it's become the absolute normal each and every day to the point where even our team that is Haitian and on the ground uh, many times is having to bunker into their homes. They can't do the things they need to do uh, to be able to, to to work for for children and, and to work for the ministries that they serve uh, because of of just the the the, the violence that that continues to roam the streets. Herbie, talk with us about um, some of the ways that we as Christians can respond 
to the needs of children um, in a place like Haiti. It's, you know, it's, I'm not going to go physically. It's, first of all, not, you know, in my view, safe nor prudent to do so. I don't know that my going would help anyway. It's really hard for me to trust that resources that I would send there are going to, you know, get where they need to be. Um, And I also, uh, you know, am not confident that bringing a child out of the nation of their birth and having them raised in a family like mine is necessarily the best for them either. Can you just like, it, there's a lot of con- like, there's a conflict at the heart level related to this. Like, so what, what is a Christian to do? You know, I, I know it's trite Carmen and I know we say it so much in Christendom and in the church, but I, I, I think it's the place we always have to go back to. And it's the place that, you know, if we look through the word, it consistently tells us to go to the Father, to go to the Lord, mm. to pray to the Lord, to ask the Lord for his favor, to ask the Lord for his help. I mean, I think we've got to hit our knees in prayer um, and not, you know, not just a, a customary, let me let me pray for Haiti for a minute or two. But we really need to plead for the Lord for this island nation. We need to first and foremost ask him to strengthen his church, uh, to strengthen the believers that are there, to give them uh, to give them safety and not safety so that they can continue to live, but safety so they can make the gospel known, so they can continue to infiltrate the the systems that are broken, so they can continue to take the gospel to bear. Uh, you know, I, I personally have seen the Lord continue to work uh, when his people are gathered together and pray. We need to be praying for uh, just against this voodoo religion and against the the even the secularism now that has hit Haiti and crippled Haiti uh, so much. Uh, we need to pray that the Lord would would bring stability where there is no stability, um, and 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 we need to ask the Lord, which which I know may sound strange, to change our hearts and our methods when Haiti does become a place where we can once again travel. And what I mean by that is, for so long the American church has just thrown money at Haiti. We've tried to fix their problems by fixing them ourselves, and we really need to go back into Haiti, Lord willing, when when it's safer to be able to do so, and it's prudent to be able to do so. And we need to train people up. We need to help people rise above their poverty and rise above their systems. You know, for so long, uh, not only the church in America, but also our government has gone and propped Haiti up. We've we've just sent money. We've we've just sent resources. We've we've given fish and we've given supplies when we've really needed to teach people how to how to own a business, how to start a business, how to how to continue to be successful. We need to go back in and take a whole different look at the poverty that is within Haiti and to start to help people create systems to provide stability within their own country. And so I think we need to ask the Lord for those opportunities, but we also need to ask the Lord for forgiveness when so many times we have just put band-aids on these gaping holes uh, of of poverty, uh, of lostness, of darkness uh, that have existed in Haiti. Mm, So good. Thank you so much. We're talking with Herbie Newell um, from Lifeline Children's Services. You can find Herbie and lots of resources at lifelinechild.org. We're going to continue our conversation in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, 
Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. We're talking with Herbie Newell from Lifeline Children's Services. We um we want to talk Herbie about you know uh, not not just I mean uh, that's even phrasing it the wrong way. I was going to say not just caring for orphans and vulnerable children here in the United States, um, but how how we positively engage at our local church and with our government when we start talking about. Um, not only the dr- decline of adoptions by Americans, but the need for adoption around the world. Like it's a growing need and yet seeming a shrinking willingness. Yeah. You know, again, I think a lot of times what we really need to do again as believers is, is yes, I still believe that international adoption even is a need for, for many kids. But we also need to make sure that we're influencing uh, the, the global church. We're influencing other believers around the world. We're, we're influencing adoption around the world. You know, one of the, the things that, that I was, I've just even been in the last couple of weeks incredibly encouraged by, I was in the, the nation of India, and to see believers within the church as we were in several different cities just say, hey, we feel like the Lord is calling us to adopt. How can we adopt locally? How can we adopt domestically here in India? And so I think we've got to take this whole idea that by God's word, right? Well, first and foremost, we know that the church did not start in America. Um, you know, we are the product of mission sending organizations from Paul and, and, the, and the apostles that, that made it here, that we were able to, to have the gospel. But we need to also understand our brothers and sisters live around the world, and we need to encourage them and equip them to adopt domestically. And so, uh, you know, I think we've got to stop thinking this American-centric view of how do we help orphans? How do we help vulnerable children? It's a call of God's word that is solid, but it's also a call of God's word that's for the church globally. Um, and so how do when we go on mission, how do when we go uh, to other nations and other places, are we encouraging other believers to get engaged? And, and not always through our checkbook or through our intervention, but through our influence and, and through our prayers for them and through our, our uh, encouragement of them getting engaged on a local level. Mm, that's so good. Um, uh, Herbie, a few weeks ago now, a couple of weeks ago now, um, a Republican, um, well, sh- she's not a Republican. The Republican Party in Minnesota responded to what she said. But there's a representative whose name is Heather Keeler in Minnesota. And she, I mean, this is a direct quote. I'm sick of white Christians. Um, what she's referring to is the adopting of Native American babies. And she likened it to a continuing genocide. How, how do you respond? How do we respond um, to people who liken the adoption of children's of all children of all kinds, like children who are orphaned and need homes? How do we respond when our skin color or our nation of origin or our religion may not be the one of that child's um, biological family? 
Yeah, I think there's a practical standpoint, but then also as believers, there's a uh, obviously a biblical standpoint. I'll start with the biblical standpoint. The biblical standpoint is we know that our family is multicultural, multi-shade. We're, we're, we're one family created by God, made by God in his image. Um, and, and therefore, we care for all of his image bearers, no matter their culture, no matter the shade of their skin, no matter where they come from. I think the second thing, which is is more of the uh, you know, the, the secular answer or, or the more practical answer, I guess, in this world that we live in is that children need help no matter who they are, where they are, what culture they're in. And for so long, uh, the the sin of genocide has been that we have ignored these tribes to uh, reservations. And and even as we talk about Haiti, you know, some of the most dangerous places, uh, especially in the, the Northwest and, and the, the Midwest, are, are on reservations. It's, it's, it's unsafe for women. It's unsafe for children. Um, you know, and so there are, there are so many kids that are in need. I know one of the states we work in is South Dakota, and, and there are so many from reservations who are seeking even abortions to get rid of children that need help. Uh, the, the system uh, for foster care is being flooded by, by natives who, who are on reservations. And so it, this is not a, a white genocide. This is a practical help that when people who are, we believe, are made in God's image with, with, with his likeness, then it is our nature to respond to hurt. It's our nature to respond to those that that need help. And and so I think we've got to to stop pushing away at this idea that every time a Christian or every time someone is helping someone of a different color, of a different shade, of a different ethnicity, that it's some type of of wokeness. And we've got to push in and say, no, this is us helping um, with humility and with care and concern because we're all made in God's image and we hurt when others hurt. Yeah, that's just so helpful. Um, And I think that the identity conversation that you started with uh, and understanding where adoption is grounded um, in Scripture and where it, you know, what it means for each and every human being to be an image bearer of the living God, um, and then to find a way to talk across some of the very um, explosive rhetoric um, that sometimes is employed by people who um, want things to be different, but don't particularly have a plan to make them so. Uh, and so in the meantime, like children can't wait. Like I, th- I think, Herbie, one of the things that people need to be reminded of is children can't wait. Yeah, and every day uh, is a day that they lose opportunities. And we know as well the way the Lord made us is uh, our brain is developing everything is developmental and that developmental needs love, touch, tenderness, and care. And so we can't just turn a blind eye to those that are hurting. There's a desperate need and it's an urgent need. Uh, what I would pray for is as we help, even as we look at you know our reservations of natives uh, in many of our places, a- as we look to help, let's not just take a child into our home and leave behind the rest of the reservation. Let's take a child in our home, let's care for them, and then let's go back and care for their family, for their tribe, for their people. And I, I think that goes back even to our very first conversation is for those listeners that may have adopted from Haiti and have a child in their home that's of Haitian origin. Now's the time for you, especially to care for the Haitian people, to pray for them and to be ready and engaged to help them because you have uh, someone who was born in Haiti who's of that, that, that background. So as we adopt, we don't need to just care about that child, but we need to care for their birth families. We need to care for their, their nature, their, their nation of origin, and we need to care for their culture. 
nature. And if we start leaning in to their birth family, to their background, I think it starts to really put some of these people who want to throw stones. It really takes all the stones out of their hands when they see that as believers, we're not just adopting and helping, but we're, we want to help the system. We want to pray for the system and we want to care uh, for, for all of our Native American brothers and sisters uh, in this country. That's so helpful. Herbie, thank you so much. Um, What a wonderful perspective. Lots of resources and points of connection available for you at lifelinechild.org, lifelinechild.org. Herbie, thank you so much. Blessings. Absolutely. Thanks, Carmen. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, it is March the 16th. It is Good News Day 316. Let's be good news people. We're going to take a very brief break here for Breakpoint with John Stone Street. Oz Guinness is going to join us next. Um, We love the things he says, and we love the way he says the things he says. And so anytime he's got something to say, I want to hear from him. His latest book is Signals of Transcendence, Listening to the Promptings of Life. And I have myself wondering if um, Oz Guinness is wondering about Um, the summation of life and not only its complexities, which he often talks about, but, um, but it's consummation. So this is a, um, this is a book that reaches beyond where you might ordinarily have thought Os Guinness was going to take you. Um, Signals of Transcendence. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Oz Guinness joins us now. You can connect with him at OzGuinness.com. If you don't know him, you should. Your life is paltry until you have the opportunity to um, soak in the teaching and the wisdom of this dear friend. Oz, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Well, thank you, Carmen. What a delight to be with you. Signals of Transcendence. This book is a a surprise and delight. Um, It's... um, it's it's entertaining, it's provocative, it's deep. I would like to begin with the end of the book in mind, if you would, um, because you call us to a time of awakening, which feels like a good place to start, even though it's where the book ends. Well, the modern world's described as a world without windows. You know, people think what's real, the unseen, is unreal. And we're living, as it were, in Plato's cave, and we don't realize the sunshine outside the cave. And I think my book is 10 stories of people who've had a deep experience that punctured this cave-like existence and pointed to something beyond. And when they searched, they found the sunshine. That's, a, that's wonderful. And that's, um, that's exactly what I would love for you to do. Tell us some of the real stories about these real people. I mean, I have some that I'd love to hear you unpack, um, but maybe we'll just start at the very beginning. What would you have us know today about Malcolm Muggeridge? Well, Muggeridge, he was the first man who saw through Stalinism and communism. But the more he looked at politics and then religion in India and education at Cambridge, he was disillusioned. And to cut a long story short, World War II, 
he so despaired of humanity, he was ready to take his own life. And swimming out into the, uh, the ocean, he suddenly looked back, and the lights of the little town there struck him as home. And for the first time in his life, he thought, there is home. But where do you find the basis for that? And he became a seeker. It was decades later that he came to faith in Jesus. But it was that extraordinary experience which turned him around. So that's the um, that's really what the book is about. Those moments that turn us around, um, that catch our attention, that do signal to us that there is um, something beyond what we ordinarily um, consider sort of the the drudgery of every day. Uh, Listening to the promptings of life is the subtitle. And yes, we are giving away copies today. If you'd like to enter the drawing for the copies of Signals of Transcendence by Oz Guinness that we have here in studio, just text the word book to 877-933-2484. Oz, talk about this this experience um, that we do have where that which is transcendent breaks through into the temporal, these, these moments that do turn us around. Well, one of my favorites is the story of W.A. Jordan, a young poet, uh, atheist, left-wing, radical, and gay. And he comes across as a hero of his generation to New York just before the war. And, of course, no television then. You had to follow the war through documentaries, going to the cinema on Saturday night. And, of course, America was neutral. Britain and Germany were fighting. He went to a cinema on the Upper East Side of New York, not realizing most people were Germans in the audience. He, of course, was English. And there was a documentary of the Nazi stormtroopers bayoneting women and children. And the German audience, backing their own people, cried out, kill them, kill them. Orden was horrified. First, he said, in five minutes, his whole worldview was turned upside down. He'd always thought humans were good. Clearly, there was evil. But then he thought, my word, this is absolutely wrong. And yet, intellectuals can't say anything's absolute. Only fundamentalists say that. But he had to have an absolute to say Hitler was absolutely wrong. And Auden said later, I left the cinema a seeker after an unconditional absolute and met Jesus. In other words, it repeat, blew his categories. Yeah, so repeat that, that, that line. Um, I left the cinema I as a seeker. Cin- mm-hmm. I left the cinema a seeker after an unconditional absolute. He wanted to know some things were absolutely wrong and met Jesus. In other words, a standard for right and wrong, true and false, and so on. So that feels like um, a firm place to stand and have a conversation with Os Guinness, because I feel like throughout your um, entire life, that's what you've been doing. You have been leading us um, painstakingly sometimes, I, I'm sure frustratingly at some times, you have le- been leading us over and over and over and over and over again to a firm foundation, to um, to an unconditional absolute, to Jesus, yes, and then from that firm foundation, you know, encouraging us to build lives of meaning that matter. Um no, that's a wonderful way of putting it, Carmen. You take our sort of postmodern chaos. You know, as they say today, God is dead, certainly for them. Truth is dead, and all that's left is power. So you're in a kind of upside-down world where anything goes if you have the power to say it and make it stick. 
and good is bad, and bad can be good, and men can be women, and women, and so on. And you see many people just lost in a tossing sea. And then to come and to know the Lord, a, a God who is himself true and trustworthy, and so on, you have a completely different worldview, and life becomes sane and solid again. Talk with us, Oz, about, um, okay, so someone has had this awakening. They have had this signal of transcendence. They they do turn toward the mouth of the cave. They do reach out in the midst of the raging water and, uh, you know, and and reach toward the one who you and I both know is always reaching um, toward them. Invite them to take a a step in that direction. Like, I think there's this fear of, um, of that next step. Like you've described, um, both Muggeridge and, and, and Alden now as seekers, right? What does mm-hmm. a seeker do? Like how, I mean, I know you deal with this in another book, so I'm sort of allowing you to tee that up, but like what, what then does a seeker do? Well, there are stages through which a seeker goes, but always the first stage is a time for questions. Mm-hmm. Someone has no question who's happily, complacently satisfied in whatever they believe, however crazy it is, they're not seekers. It's questions that constitute a seeker. Now, in my other book, The Great Quest, I show you, you start with questions, you go on to look at answers, and then you look to see if the answers are in fact true, a very important stage. And the fourth stage, of course, is committing yourself to that which you discovered to be true and coming to know the Lord in reality. So there are stages to go, but many people never reach the first stage today. You know, in the story of um, Kenneth Clark, the great art historian, he said he felt the finger of God when he saw incredible beauty in Florence. But he said, it would be awkward. I go back to London, they'd think I was crazy. Mm -hmm. In fact, we know later on he had a mistress and he'd have to deal with that. And so there are all sorts of people have these experiences, but often they suppress them. They brush them off. They don't want to start thinking. So the book's an invitation for people to really listen to the promptings of life and set out to be seekers. All right. If you're listening right now and um, and you say to yourself, Gosh, I just those inspirational stories would be so helpful to me. The book is Signals of Transcendence, Listening to the Promptings of Life. We're giving away copies today. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. But if you have experienced one of those promptings and if you you know that God is inviting you um, to be found to seek him in a way that is life-changing. I really want to also recommend to you The Great Quest. Um, it's Oz's uh, book from, I think, just last year. Um, mm-hmm. And so let me encourage you to connect with Oz Guinness at ozguinness.com. Um, but The Great Quest is this invitation to have an examined life and um, and and walk in a path of meaningful life, not just tossed to and fro by every wind of what's going on in this generation or people's trickery, but actually finding your feet um, and seeking the Savior who came to seek you. Um, Oz, let's jump back into some of the stories that you offer to us in Signals of Transcendence, listening to the promptings of life. When we come back um, from a very brief break, will you tell us um, first about Leo Tolstoy and then about 
Whitfield Guinness. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Listen to Faith Radio live or on demand no matter where you go. Download the free Faith Radio app at your app store today. We're continuing our conversation with Oz Guinness. You can connect with Oz at ozguinness.com. The book we're talking about today, Signals of Transcendence, Listening to the Promptings of Life. You will delight in the chapter on G.K. Chesterton, um, who was stopped in his tracks by a dandelion. Many of you will be familiar with the story of C.S. Lewis, who was surprised by joy the way um, the way Oz tells it. It's, you know, it's joy with a capital J. Um Tell us, Oz, about Leo Tolstoy. What, what, what is this, the truth we face alone? Well, Tolstoy was the most successful novelist of his time, one of the greatest in history. He was wealthy with thousands of acres and many, many serfs and had 14 children and so on, a happy life. And then suddenly he was obsessed with the fact he was going to die. And death called into question all his achievements and made them look as nothing. And so you can read in his uh, own story, memoir, The Confession, he sets out to find the answer to this, because death just called everything into question. Now, in our modern world, we try and drown that out with all our diversions today, busy, entertaining distractions. We don't want to think about things like that. But Tolstoy was very unusual. He took death very seriously, even at the high point of his life. I don't think that there's a lot of people, Oz, who, um, I mean, I feel like we live in a culture of death. Death um, is something that we, I don't know, we laugh at. We um, we talk about hundreds of thousands of people dying in the Tigray region of Ethiopia, and, and we just pass on to the next item of news, which is mm-hmm. who won the Oscars. Um we, we trifle with it. We don't consider um, the lives of millions of Americans who have, uh, who have died as a consequence of abortion. Or, or, you know, or we talk about Bakhmut today being a slaughterhouse, and we're not talking about animals. We're talking about human beings. Mm-hmm. And yet then we move on to the very next thing, which is, you know, have you finished your brackets for the— March Madness um, basketball tournament. Like I help help me gain Tolstoy's view here on how seriously we ought to be taking death. Well, come and think of uh, Pascal. He's the one who used the word devotion. Mm. Well, T.S. Eliot says humans can't bear too much reality. Simple fact is we're all going to die. That should be a factor in all our thinking right from the beginning. But as as Pascal says, you look at human beings, they surround themselves, we do, busy entertaining distractions, weapons of mass distraction, as someone has called cell phones and so on. In other words, we don't want to think too deeply. We don't want to care that much. We want to just live the immediate moment. And so we drown it out. You described that brilliantly. It's a way in which people are ducking the point. They need to think, no. There are many other positive, death is a negative one, as well. There are many positive ones, like you're going to go to next, I think. But (laughs) we should all be thinking about the negative and the positive. Let's talk about the positive. Let's talk about Whitfield Guinness. That name sounds familiar. (laughs) 
He's my grandfather, although I never met him because he died when my own father was a teenager in China. And he's not an example of someone who came to faith through a signal, but someone whose sense of faith deepened immeasurably. Because he survived, and we haven't time to tell the story, the horrendous Boxer Rebellion in which 2,000 or so were killed in a couple of weeks, including many, many Western missionaries and many of his friends. He survived hair-raisingly and then met my grandmother, a very beautiful young Swedish lady. And we have at home the wonderful little Christmas card he gave to her on their first Christmas after their wedding. And it just reads simply, To one who is dearer than life with a love that is stronger than death. And thinking about love in the midst of the chaos and violence and death of China in 1900 made him see the extraordinary wonder of God's love. And you think, you know, love in America has been cheapened. Hookup culture, all the banalities of so Hallmark cards and so on. But you take the pop song. If love is not forever, what's forever for? Someone who's really in love, genuinely in love, it's got to last forever. It's something so deep. Now, where does that longing, that desire come from? And more importantly, how is it fulfilled? It's only fulfilled if the Lord is there as we come to know him in Jesus. I think, um, Oz, what we should do with our last couple of minutes here is allow you to talk about love and life and death from your own personal perspective. I think that as a Christian, the, um, the personal testimony about these things is, um, is the powerful one. Well, Carmen, as you know, I was born in China, and I was in World War II, and there was death. 17 million were killed in the Japanese invasion. We lived in a famine in which 5 million died in three months, including my two brothers. We then moved to Nanking, the capital city, and saw the first two years of the reign of terror. So I lived in all that, which gave me an immense realism about life, as well as a immense realism, say, about Marxism. So today, with cultural Marxism creeping in, you know, I'm not surprised at what we're seeing, and much more realistic than many people who simply don't have their eyes open. So for me, the wonderful thing about faith in Jesus, among many other things, is so realistic. You can look the worst in the white of the eye. I never, in the 10 years growing up in China, never saw my parents' faith waver once. My two brothers died, death around everywhere. My mother was a doctor. Nothing you could do with cannibalism and so on because there was no food, no medicine. But my parents, if you boil down what they were really saying often, I put it like this. God is greater than all. God can be trusted in all situations. Have faith in God. Have no fear. So it was my own early years of incredible realism and drama and all sorts of other things in China that gave me what is really the solidity of much of my faith today. And as life gets more chaotic in America in 2023, and the country is often unrecognizable. I'm glad that though the mountains may move and shake, the Lord is our trust, and we need have no fear. Bless you, my brother. Um, that is uh, such... Such good word on this Good News Day, um, and I'm so grateful for you. Um, oh, I thank talked, you. 
I talked with Robert Walgamuth earlier this week. Um, his book is Finish Line, and he's looking toward, you know, in his own life, what he anticipates being a finish line, obviously at some point. Um, and at the end of his book, um, he acknowledges the importance of telling the people we love that we love them. And even though you and I have spent very little time in act, in one another's like actual physical presence, I have spent a lot of time with you <laughs> and, and, and I, I love you and I uh, deeply appreciate the way you allow God to use you. Um, and I am so thankful for you. So in parting ways today, I want to say to you, I love you. Carmen, thank you. I wish I knew you better face to face. I appreciate where you put that. It means well, a lot as a writer because often you're writing out into the darkness as it were. And when, people get back in touch it means the world so thank you i'm deeply touched by what you said i love you too yeah it it is um you have you have not only formed much of my thinking but you um you provide a stability of um a viewpoint and thought over the the long course of time um that is so beneficial to me um in everything that i do um, and so, Osgenes, thank you so very much, not only for the signals of transcendence today, but um, for all of the conversations that we have um, had the privilege of having um, like this, but the conversations that you don't even know we've had um, <laughs> in so many of, of your books over the years. So thank you, brother. Well, thank you, and God bless you and all you're doing. Thank you. Likewise. That's Oz Guinness. You can connect with him at ozguinness.com. The book today is Signals of Transcendence, Listening to the Promptings of Life. And yes, we are giving away copies. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484 to enter that drawing. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. It is 316, March the 16th. It is Good News Day. If you have never committed John 316 to memory, um, hey, today's a good day to do that. And some other 316 verses of the Bible as well. Um, John 316. Do you know it? Does it, uh, does it roll off your tongue even as I just give it reference? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Friends, if, you, um, if you're despairing today, if you're wandering around in the darkness, if you are in Plato's cave, if you're thrashing around in a sinking sea, there, there is life and there is light. There is salvation. But it comes in no name but the name of Jesus. God loved the world and God loves you. And God gave his only son and his name is Jesus. That whoever would believe in Jesus as the son of God and put trust in him as the savior of the world shall not perish. Though we die, yet shall we live. His name is Jesus and in him is life. Now and forevermore. That's the good news of the gospel. Let's find ways to share it today on this Good News Day. Have a great day, and God bless.
Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.